Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? It's great to see you all. For those of you who've been away in the summer, we had a sabbatical this year and uh, got back earlier on in August. And uh, thank you so much for all your prayers and for releasing us to that. We had a wonderful time um, out in England and a little bit in France. And uh, God really spread a table for us in many ways. Hopefully tell some of the stories uh, over the next little while with you and some even this morning. But this morning I want to um, bring a word to you that has really been on my heart since Christmas of last year. And it's not often that something sort of stirs in me and just stays and stays and stays over a long period of time and grows in me. But this one has. And so I want to bring that to you this morning as we come and start this new season that we're going into, into the fall and with God. We're living in times of tremendous change, tremendous upheaval all over the world. Let me show you a graph here. This graph is the number of migrants there are in the world. These are people who are now living in countries that they were not born in. And you can see that in 1960, there were around 75 million such people around the world, living in countries that they weren't born in. Uh, by the mid-1990s, especially after the fall of the Soviet Union and different wars, that number has over doubled to 150 million. And you can see how it's continued to rise so that we're reaching a quarter of a billion people around the world today that are living now in places where they were not born. And there were many more that want to move as well. And people are moving all over the earth like never before. And with that movement comes great upheaval, great change. There are many hurdles to coming to Canada, for instance. Many hoops that you have to jump through. And when people finally get to Canada, there are many hurdles to actually living in Canada that those of us who had the privilege of living here for a while don't always understand. But the challenges often go on even when people have moved and come into a new place. We're going to look this morning at one of the biggest people movements in the ancient world. God taking his people out of Egypt and moving them into the wilderness where they went for 40 years around the wilderness and finally bringing them right to the edge of the promised land where they were looking to go. And I'm sure they were filled with great hope and anticipation as they looked over into the promised land. But as they camped there before crossing over, they also faced some big challenges and some big changes. And Joshua, who was the new leader, spoke into that situation and he gave them something that I believe is a key for us that as we're moving into this next season and what God has for us is going to help us to really be able to move into the land that God has for us and to enjoy that land. And so let's read together what happened and what Joshua said. I'm going to read from Joshua and chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 1 to 5. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along on the screen behind me. This is reading Joshua 3 verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. 
At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. And then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that in your word you teach us who you are and how you walk with your people. And Lord, as we stand on the brink of a new season, as we stand on the brink, Lord, even of a new day and moving into a new land as a people, I pray that just as you spoke through Joshua, to the people of Israel, you would speak to us this morning and you would position us and you would posture our hearts, Lord, that we will be able to fully enter in to all the wonderful things that you have for us. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What did Joshua encourage the Israelites in before they went into the land? Verse 5 says, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Before we unpack what that means to consecrate ourselves, let me unpack a little for us of the context of what is happening here so that we can understand. They can see over into the promised land which God is bringing in, into. And I'm sure there was great anticipation and excitement But that excitement and anticipation was mingled with some very great worries about what this was going to look like and how it was going to happen because they faced some huge challenges to get in there and it meant some great changes in their lives. What were those challenges? Well, first of all, there was the Jordan River. We have to understand that there was probably, according to historians, between two and two and a half million Israelites on the side of the River Jordan looking to cross over to the other side. That is not including all their belongings, sheep, cattle, whatever they have with them. The picture putting up for you there is a picture of what one to two million people look like at Obama's inauguration. And those people go all the way back to the monument in the distance. You add another 25% onto that or even another 50% onto that and you're beginning to understand how many people are standing beside the Jordan River. And not just people, but luggage, animals, whatever they're bringing with them. It's a huge number of people. And not only are they a huge number of people, but the river is huge in front of them. We know from verse 15 that this was the time when the Jordan was in flood. The Jordan now is a small little river that runs through Israel. It was not like that in these days. They've taken water and they've siphoned it off into all sorts of different places today. 
But in those days, the Jordan River was normally around 100 feet wide, even though it was only about 3 to 10 feet deep. But when it got to harvest time and flood time, it grew and swelled and it overflowed its banks and it grew to about a half a mile wide. And the torrents that were coming down were very strong and very fast. That's like saying we're going to stand two and a half million people over here and then there is a mighty flowing river between us all the way to the back of the Rona parking lot and probably even further than that away. That's what's standing in front of them and being able to walk into the promised land. There are no bridges and all the fords, because there were fords that you could walk through the water, but they're all flooded out and they are all impassable. The second challenge was what lay beyond the river. But because beyond the river was Jericho, the fortified city, And there were armies and kings, six of them in all at least, in the promised land that were going to fight to the last breath to keep them out of that land. Great challenges. And if you were to look at it from a normal point of view, there is absolutely no earthly way that they are getting across this river. And even if somehow they manage to get across the river... They're just going to get picked to pieces on the other side. Big challenges. But also they had big changes. A new land sounds wonderful. But new land always has its challenges. These people have been fed morning and night from God every day for 40 years. Now that's going to stop. They're going to be able to pick the fruit from the land when they first get across. But then they're going to have to learn how to plow up the ground, how to dig it up, how to sow seeds, how to water those seeds and weed and see those things grow and then harvest. They are going to have to work for their own food. And these people have never done that before. Because all the people that came out of Egypt, except for Caleb and Joshua, had died along the way. All these people have ever known is skip the dishes. (laughs) And they're suddenly going to get self-catering for the rest of their lives just like that. That's going to be a change for them. And not only are they going to have to farm like never before, they're going to have to fight like never before. They've had skirmishes in the past. But now once they get into that land on every side, there are going to be people who are going to be out to stop them and get them. And they are going to have to fight. God is going to fight with them. But they are going to have to fight too. There's a new land with all sorts of new challenges. And of course, there's a new leader. Moses has died. And now Joshua is taking over. He had been Moses' right-hand man for many years. He probably had a lot of trust among the people. But he was no Moses. The man who had confronted Pharaoh and brought them out through the Red Sea. Who had spent 40 days and nights up on the mountain talking to God on Mount Sinai. Who obviously had a very unique and special relationship with God. And Joshua wasn't a young man either. He was around at least 70 at this age when he took over leading Israel and took them into the promised land. Those are huge challenges and big changes all happening at once. 
So how does Joshua posture the people to help them in this journey that they're going into? He tells them to do something for God because God is going to do something for them. He encourages them into a partnership because he knows that these people cannot do this on their own. But he also knows that God will not do it on his own, even though he could, because he wants to work in and through and with his people. The people can't do it on their own. And God will not do it on his own. And so there needs to be a partnership together. What does that partnership look like? Well, Joshua says to the people, consecrate yourselves. What does that mean? The Hebrew word for consecration means to make yourself clean, to prepare, to dedicate yourself, and to set yourself apart for God. Physically, it meant for the Israelites, they probably went back to their tents and they washed all their clothes, they washed all their belongings and everything, ceremonially washing them all. But more importantly, it meant them sitting down and asking each other, is there anything in us that is not consecrated to God? Is there any part of our lives that is going to hinder us from moving into the fullness of all that God has for us? It meant examining their own hearts, asking each other questions and difficult questions. And maybe if there needed to be this, some time of confession, of bringing things into the light, of dealing with issues. That was all part of consecration. Where is your heart at? Where is your life at? Where are your attitudes at? Maybe there have been relationships that have gone south. Maybe things have gone down and people have been hurt. Part of consecrating yourself would be to sort those things out. Put right whatever you can put right in your relationship with God and in your relationship with each other. Because God wants to bring you into the land that he has for you. And it was going to be so important that they did this because they're going to go into a land when there's a lot of opposition. There's all sorts of other gods. There's all sorts of other pulls on their time and on their affections. And so Joshua says to them, before you go in, let's make sure our hearts are set apart for God and for his purposes above all other." And why did they need that consecration? Well, have you ever been in a conversation with your spouse or family or a friend and suddenly it goes very quiet in the conversation? And you look up from whatever device you might have had open in your hand. And you get the stare. Never been in that situation? No, I have. I'm not good sometimes at doing these sorts of things. And I have been gently and not so gently rebuked about it, which is absolutely right because I ought to be. You suddenly realize that here's someone who loves you and wants to have communication with you, but you kind of got half an eye somewhere else. And hopefully your spouse doesn't put up for that. 
Hopefully, if you're a parent, you don't put up for that with your kids. It's not easy, is it? And we don't put up with it for each other. Because if we really love each other, and we want to communicate with each other, then we need to set aside the other things that distract us and get our eyes on each other so that we can build relationally and hear each other properly. Are you hearing me? If you're not feeling convicted, I am. God is trying to help me with this. Put that into the context of consecration for these people. They have a God who wants to talk to them. They have a God who wants to walk with them. They have a God who wants to take them into the very most wonderful places of his precious promises. A land flowing with milk and honey. A land full of amazing things. God wants their attention because he wants to lead them through that process. And so Joshua says, consecrate yourself. And if you look at the verse before that, you see this even more. Because God says to the people, you need to get your eyes fixed on me. Before when they walked through the wilderness, the Ark of the Covenant would be in the middle of the people as they walked. They would follow the fire at night, the cloud by day. But those are gone now. And so God says, we're going to put the Ark of the Covenant right at the front. But if you're too close to it, the front row will be able to see. But there's two and a half million of you. So you've got to be back at least 2,000 cubits, which is a long way. To give the maximum number of you the best view of the Ark of the Covenant. So that each one of you individually can fix your eyes on the Ark of the Covenant of God. The Ark of His presence. The Ark of His covenant promises. The ark of his faithfulness. That everything that he has said to you will come to pass. Because he is faithful. So consecrate yourself so that you can set yourself aside to be able to see what God is doing. To be able to hear where he is going. And to be able to follow him into the fullness of all the wonderful things that he has for you. That is the first part of the equation. Consecrate yourselves. But what about God's part? Just consecrating ourselves is a great start. But that will not in of itself part the Jordan River. It doesn't bring down the walls of Jericho. We cannot by our own efforts get to where God wants us to be. No, someone else needs to act on our behalf. And Joshua encourages the people in who that is going to be. Consecrate yourselves, he says, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The Hebrew word for wonders also means to set apart, but in a different way from consecrate. They're coming into a land of many gods, and maybe demonically some of those gods maybe had power amongst the people. But God is going to do wonders, which means that he is going to do things that is going to set apart who he is above and beyond every other God that they're ever going to come across. 
However strong the demonic powers they are going to uh, meet along the way, God is going to set himself apart above and beyond those wonders hugely to show that there is no comparison between him and every other so-called God on the planet. That is what it means for God to do wonders. And he is doing it for his own namesake. Yes, that is true. But he's also doing it for the joy of his people. I will do these wonders, he says, among you. That's who God is. Yes, there might be wonderful things happening in God all around the rest of the world. And you can read those wonders. But here is the heart of our Father in heaven. I want to do wonders among you. I want to set myself apart above every other claim on your heart by doing signs and wonders that are so magnificent that you will be amazed and everybody else will be amazed with you. So what happened? Well, they consecrated themselves. And amazingly, God made a way where there was no way. He split the sea so we can walk right through it. Half a mile of raging torrent got stacked up. And all that mud and grime at the bottom of that river got dried up. And two and a half million people, men, women, children, babies, with all of their cattle and all of their belongings, all walked across that river on dry land. Consecrate yourselves. Because the Lord is going to do wonders among you tomorrow. When they got onto the plains of Jericho, they did what God told them to and they marched around that city. And after seven days, the walls came crashing down of a fortified city without them having to raise a single hand against it. Because God acted on their behalf and did a wonder that set himself so much higher apart from every other God they would ever encounter. That if their hearts were fully consecrated to him, they would never forget who he was and what he does in our lives. But unfortunately, some of them did forget. Because right there in that first breakdown of Jericho, there was a man and his family who took for themselves things that God said were devoted to be destroyed. And the next day, the people went out to fight again, or the next battle they went into against the people of Ai. They went into battle with great confidence because we have a God who does wonders. But he didn't. The people were defeated. 36 Israelites were killed. And the people ran away from the battle. And the leaders got together and they put dust on their heads and they got down on their knees and they cried out to God till the evening. And what God said to them is worth reading in whole. Let me read it to you. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. 
They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel. There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. It's a partnership. And when they forgot the consecration, the wonders stopped. Now, God can do wonders without us. But he wants to do wonders with us. He wants us to partake with him and to participate with him. And so he said to them, if you want these wonders to return, you need to get back to that place of consecration. Giving yourself to me. Setting apart your heart. Listening. Watching the ark. When I tell you to do something, do it. Learn to be obedient. And I will continue to do wonders among you. And that's exactly what happened. There's a connection between their consecration and the manifestation of God's presence among them. God sometimes wonderfully moves in amongst us. Even when we're not consecrated, where our hearts are far away, God comes and he meets with us, which is absolutely wonderful. But he is looking to raise up a people who mature, who grow up. You're going to have to farm now. I'm not going to give it to you hand to mouth. You're going to have to fight now. I'm not just going to come in and blow your enemies away. You're going to have to raise your own swords. But if you will consecrate yourself to me, I will do amazing wonders for you. You find this pattern in the New Testament too. In the early church, God was doing amazing wonders. But there was a couple, Ananias and Sapphira. And they devoted something to the Lord. But then they kept back. Some of it for themselves. And then they lied about it. To God and to the leaders of the church. And because of that they never entered into the wonders that God had for them. There was a magician named Simon. um, He was in Samaria. And he saw the wonders that the apostles were doing. And he got saved And he wanted to be part of the wonders that were going on. And so he went to the apostles and tried to buy it with money. And Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter. For your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours. And pray to the Lord that if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. And he asked them to pray for him. Did God want him to walk in the wonders and the miracles? Of course he did. 
God wants all of us to walk in those places with him. Our part in that journey is to consecrate ourselves to him and to continually consecrate ourselves. Peter, later in life, says to the church scattered abroad, when he's been encouraging them about how to live in this wonders of God's inheritance, he says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be wrought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy holy what's that for us today Peter well some of the parallels are pretty obvious aren't they God's moving us into a new land whether we're moving across the tracks to Colsbeck or we're moving across the river out into West St Paul or maybe God's going to take you to some other places but we're all moving and in that moving there are some great challenges There's some huge challenges of finances, some huge challenges of faith. There's moving into areas of the city that we've never been in before. And what does that look like? And how do we live in those areas of the city? How do we start building relationships together from scratch? We're in changes of leadership. Ron has been leading this congregation for 39 years. That is special. Is that special? We all live in the benefit of that faithfulness. Amen? Ron and Mary. And Ron's going to stay around as our senior pastor and oversee things as we move forward. But there's going to be a change of leadership here in this congregation and in Colesbeck. People are used to Moses leading. Seen all the wonders, seen all the things that happen. Who are these other people and what do they carry? And the leaders themselves are thinking, I'm no Moses. I'm no Ron. I'm no Moses. <laughs> but you are Ron. But I have Ron's God. I have Moses' God. I have Elijah's God. I have the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I have Jesus as God. And you have him too. This is not about the leaders putting their eyes on the ark and following the ark through the waters. This is about you putting your eyes on the ark and following the ark through the waters. Whatever your waters might be. This is about you consecrating your heart and setting yourself apart for the Lord again at the beginning of this new season. You and your household, whatever that looks like. As for me and my house, I'm here for the Lord and for his purposes. And he has a land that he wants to take us into. It's a glorious land. You and I have not seen what the Lord has for us. We have not heard yet of all the goodness that he has for us. It is exceedingly beyond our imagination. That is what he has promised us. He's calling us to live in an area and in a realm of the supernatural that most of us have only dreamed of because he lives in the supernatural. And he is a God of wonders now as he ever was a God of wonders. He has not changed like shifting shadows like you and I change. 
And he invites us into this partnership of walking into the wonderful land that he has ahead for us. Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, I am going to do wonders. I don't know how we're going to pay for this building. But God does. We were, we were at, a, at a conference in, uh, in England. God supernaturally, the story of our sabbatical was about supernatural openings that God gave us. This was one of them. Uh, during the conference, there was a lady um, from Switzerland who was giving prophecies. Just praying for people. She prayed for the girls and she prayed for Julia and I. She prayed for Julia first. Julia told her a little bit about some of what was going on. And then she prayed for me. And as she prayed, she got going about, you need to stretch your tent out wide. (laughs) Big, she said. Big, big. Don't get pressured into going small. Come on, Lord. Lay it on, Lord. Lay it on. Why? Because we have a God of wonders. That's why. We have a God who is committed to setting himself apart from every other God and every other claim on our affection by doing exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or ever imagine. And taking a people who they can wander all over the desert for 40 years and be all over the map at different times. But he's going to take those people and he's going to bring them to himself. And he's going to lead them through high waters. He's going to lead them past strong refuges that look as though they're never going to fall. He's going to lead them into a land that flows with milk and honey. The land of all his promises because if you keep your eyes on the covenant keeping God, you will discover that he keeps every single one of the promises that he's ever made to you. For you or your children or your children's children. Consecrate yourselves. We're going to move into a season of consecration. The Conquer series. Guys, have you signed up yet? And if not, why not? Here's the question you should ask. Not, Lord, should I go to the Conquer series? The question is, Lord, do you not want me to go to the Conquer series? Because God is gathering the men of this church together to do something. He's gathered the women He's empowered them. He's filled them. It's wonderful to see what's happening around us. Some of our women and seeing them grow into all that God has for men. It's our time. Put your names down. Come together. Let's see what the Lord wants to say. It's part of our consecration. You might have issues in your life. How do I get free of these issues? Go to a set free retreat. We've got a set free retreat coming up at the end of September. Go and allow the Lord to speak to you and wash through, confess things that need to be confessed, bring things into the light that need to be brought into the light. Allow God to move and deal with your heart. You can go again and again and again and again because if you're like me, I've got lots of issues. One of the keys to consecration is learning to be led by the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Galatians 5, if you're led by the Holy Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature because what happens is the Holy Spirit leads you into such wonderful things you don't want to go there no more. 
There's nothing like a soul-satisfying view of the goodness of God as an antidote and a tonic for sin. Right? We're going to have a Hearing God seminar coming up. If you struggle to hear God, I want to encourage you to go. Every time I've gone, I've got, it's like my ears get more open to what God is doing. And if you're not part of a group, a cell group, where you can encourage each other and strengthen each other and speak truth to each other and be honest with each other, and you can bear your stuff and people will pray. I want to encourage you to do that too. You can sign up for one of those by putting your name down on the cards and the cell groups will be starting up soon. Lots of opportunities for us to be able to get on board in this season of consecration. But at the end of the day, it's really about us with the Lord. So what does it mean for you to consecrate your heart? What does it mean for I, myself, to consecrate myself to the Lord? Well, take it to the Holy Spirit. Let the Lord lead you. Get into the Word of God. Spend time listening. Lord, what are you saying? Lead me. You may be amazed at what he does. Because we have a God who does amazing things. And I believe he's just coming here by his spirit today to say to all of us, Gateway Church, prepare yourself to be amazed. Amen? Amen. Amen.